Well, good morning and welcome to Horizon. We are really thankful that you have chosen to join us this morning. We're in a series that we're calling Live and Learn, where we're looking at ancient wisdom from a book of the Bible known as Proverbs. Now, when you read the Proverbs, there are two characters that show up time and time again. It's the wise person and the fool. But to help us kind of get a handle on that, we're thinking about the wise person as the live and learn person. It's the person who isn't necessarily perfect. They might make mistakes, but they learn from them. They're willing to take outside input. They're willing to learn from what other people are teaching them or offering correction. Where the fool, we might think of as the deja vu person. That I've made this mistake before, but I just keep going in the same patterns, into the same mistakes, into the same problems, and never quite learn that lesson. And so as we're going through the series, we're trying to figure out, how do I avoid being the deja vu person? How can I be more like the live and learn person? And so we're watching interviews from famous musicians, and today we'll see a Hall of Fame football coach. And specifically today, looking at how we win how we survive unmet expectations. I started coaching when I was 25 years old. And probably by the time I'd been an assistant coach for 10, 11 years, the word was getting out, this guy might be a good head coach. I started to interview for, for head coaching jobs, but everyone was looking for that stereotypical coach, looking for the guy who was gonna demand perfection from his players, who was gonna show that emotion and, and everything that they expected to see in a, in a head coach. And that wasn't me. How much does this mean to you? How much are you prepared to sacrifice to, to lead his team? And, and what's important to you in, in life? And you know what the, the, the man wants to hear, but it's not really what's in your heart. I'm gonna give you a lot. I'm, I believe I'm gonna deliver you a championship, but no, the, the team is not gonna be the most important thing. When I was called to interview at Tampa, I told Lauren, we're not gonna get this job. I don't know anybody there, I have no connections. And so when I got the job, I said, you know what, we wanna win a Super Bowl, and I believe we will. I wanna do it the right way, I wanna do it so that our young men are people that the community is going to be proud of. I want to do it in such a way that we're doing the right things with our families and it's going to be a win-win situation. I believe it can be done and I believe it can be done here. I came down feeling like, hey, this is where God wants us. We're going to win. Everything's going to be great because this is God's plan. It's not my plan. one of the hardest things in life when you have an idea of the way things are going to go, uh, what you hope for, what you dream about, what you pray for, and it doesn't come through. Uh, that's when it's easy to get disappointed with God. Why didn't it work? Why didn't it uh, pan out the way I thought it would? It was one of the biggest disappointments in my life because I did feel like the Lord had brought me down to Tampa. And I had to realize that it worked out. It just didn't work out the way I had planned. 
I didn't know at the time when I got fired uh, what I was supposed to do. Um, was I supposed to look for something in Tampa outside of football, or was I supposed to look for another job, another city? And Jim Irsay, the owner of the Colts, called me, and he said, we're making a change at, at head coach for the Indianapolis Colts, and you're the guy that I want to be our coach. I believe in all the things that you believe in. We want to do things the right way. We want to win, but win with the right kind of people, and you're the guy to lead us. And that, that was a message that I really needed to hear at that point. My favorite passage in the Bible is um, where Christ says, what would it profit a man to gain the whole world but forfeit his soul? And with 31 years in the National Football League, I've seen that a lot. And so to me, that was the thing that I always wanted to, to tell my players. Um, don't, don't put this game first. Don't, don't make football everything in your life. How we relate to each other, how we live, uh, what you have in your heart for eternity, uh, how you're responding to the Lord, that's, that's the most important thing. This game will take care of itself. Even though we, you know, for four or five years had those bitter disappointments at the end of each year, I never gave up. Uh, it wasn't to the point where I said, hey, we can never win this thing, but I, I got to the point where if that is what God has in store, it would be a bitter pill to swallow, but uh, I'm going to be okay with that. through a lot and, and our slogan by that time was it's our time um, you know those disappointments were in the past but now it's our time and we got to seize the moment and and we did that amazing thing in the locker room Super Bowls are, are so different as soon as you win the celebration starts you have a ceremony out on the field it maybe takes 40 minutes to get everybody back together many of our players were just waiting they said coach we've got to finish this one like we have every other game. We've got to have the team prayer. And we asked that uh, the reporters shut their cameras down and let us pray. And I was so proud of the guys for, for hanging in there and saying, this is what we want to do. We want to honor the Lord in this victory. And uh, we did that. One photographer didn't honor our wishes. He took a picture of it, but that picture went all over the internet, went all over, and it was really a, a great tribute to what that team had in mind of, of putting the Lord first, even at the Super Bowl. Every decision I make in life, I'm going to make it through the lens of Jesus Christ. I'm going to put him out there first, and my own feelings, my own thoughts, my own desires are going to be second. It's that simple. And if we do that, Christ promised that he would come into our lives, he'd be our head coach, and he'd guide us to, to that victory, that ultimate victory. Well, I wonder what you think of that interview as you listen to him speak. Because I've, I've noticed sometimes after a big game, you know, you're watching football, you're watching basketball, whatever it is, and they win... And you catch them on the field and you put a mic in their face and they say, well, I just want to give glory to God. It's like, sure you do, because you won. 
right? And you, and you wonder a little bit, like, what's the loser saying right now? Like, is there, is there nobody on the other side, of, you know, of the field that was also praying? And, and so one of the things that I really appreciate about listening to Tony Dungy, kind of a wow moment for me as I first watched that interview, was that he was talking about the glory that he wanted to give to God and the way he wanted to follow Jesus, even if they never won. Like, okay, that actually that makes me listen a little bit more closely to a guy like that because he's not just saying, hey, when things are going well, that just proves that God loves you, right? He's saying, what about in moments of adversity? What about when things are not going the way I'd hoped, not going the way I'd expected? What about when all the exterior pressure on me to be successful, all of my own interior desire to be successful isn't panning out? Does God still love me? Is God still good? Should I still be trying to follow his lead? Am I still looking for his ancient wisdom to help me live and learn? Or did that all go by the wayside because this isn't coming out the way that I'd hoped? And so I thought probably one of the strongest things that he said there as sort of a factor of his faith was the idea that we may never win and I'm going to be okay with that. So if you've ever been on a team, if you're an athlete, if you're you know, thinking about your career and the places that you've stepped up to success, does that sound like strength or does that sound like weakness? Because I know the coaches I've had who would say, see, now that's a good man. That's the guy you want to play for, the guy who understands what really... And I can also think of the coaches I've had that are like, that's a loser's mentality. That's how you get second place, <laughs> right? Like, I don't want to be the guy that goes out there and says, hey, hey guys, it's okay if we lose today. And yet, that's part of where he felt the pressure come off. The ability to say that there's something more important than even the Super Bowl, even though that's the pinnacle of his career. So maybe you're not a Hall of Fame football coach. Show of hands, though, do we have any here today? <laughs> right? But, but what is it in your career? What is it in your family? What is that thing that you hold up that if only life went like this, if I only made it to this point, if I could just have this one thing happen, that's what I'm striving for. Because he had a moment where he had to decide if he was going to go for that or if there was something else more important. And you notice that what helped him was he quoted this verse from the Bible, something that Jesus said in Matthew 16. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? So part of what Jesus is driving at there is he's talking to his closest friends and he knows that if they decide to follow him, people around them are going to push back against that. They're going to lose career opportunities. They're probably going to lose friends. He even tells them to watch out for their own families if they choose to follow Jesus. And so he's trying to give them this picture that there is something more important than anything else in the world because there is nothing you can exchange for your soul. So this is like a... a cannonball into the deep end of the pool but what Jesus wants them to know is that the soul is real that you're not just a collection of atoms that breathes for a little while and then rots for a little while longer that there is something in you that God has given you that lasts forever and Jesus would teach them it's going to last forever either in heaven or in hell and that's what he's talking about the soul He's going to tell them that there's only one way for that soul not to be lost. Only one way for that soul to experience eternal life, and it's through him. All right, I told you that was like a cannonball into the deep end. Maybe it's a belly flop, I don't know. <laughs> 
So we're going to back up from there a little bit and, and we'll work our way back towards it because part of what Jesus is trying to give them is that if they get that context, then they're saying the same kinds of things as Tony Dungy. Now I can go back out into my life. I can strive for success. I can strive to be my best. I can take the things that I enjoy, the things that I work at, and I can work hard, but with my perspective in a different place. Like Tony Dungy did go on to win a Super Bowl. He was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 2016. And if you're a football fan, you see him on there every week talking about strategy before the games and at halftime and still enjoying football. But his peace didn't come from finally winning that Super Bowl. You see the difference? So it begs a few questions for us. I think some of the questions it makes me ask is like, along with that, is that a strong statement or a weak statement? You know, that, hey, maybe we'll never win, but that's okay. Has he found a new strength there? But I also kind of wonder, like, Jesus said, what does it, like, benefit you if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? Can I gain, like, part of the world without losing my soul? Actually, from the way you phrased it, is there a way to gain the whole world and not lose my soul? Like, what profit is it if I gain the whole world and lose my soul? But how about if I gain the whole world and keep my soul? Like, wh where are the, the lines here? Are they solid lines? Are they dotted lines? What about if I put this in a little bit of a different context? I'm striving for success at work, but I'm doing 65 hours a week and it seems to be affecting my family. Do I have to sacrifice one or the other? Can I win at work and at home without losing my soul? See, these are the kinds of the nitty-gritty practical questions that this ancient wisdom in the book of Proverbs wants to help us with. And so if you've ever picked up this book, I, I'd encourage you, just flip through it and see what random things you come up with. Because some of the stuff in this book is some of the most quoted one-liners in the history of the world. And I'll bet you, you know a bunch of them without even realizing this is where they came from. And so as I was preparing for today, I just started kind of flipping through it. And I hit this one. It's like it's perfect for this. And I swear, if football had been invented back then, a football coach would have come up with this one. It's Proverbs 24.10. It says, if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Right, like if this was a children's classroom, this would be like the kitty cat that's hanging on to a ledge on a motivational poster. Big strength for big moments, right? Like if you, have, if you faint in adversity, your strength is small. If this is a football coach, you know that's going over the lockers. Men, we're never going to back down in the moment of adversity. We will be tough and we will be strong and we will fight harder. It's just a flesh wound, like all that kind of stuff, right? Or, or if this was in, uh, in, maybe on your sales team, this would, like, before 75 slides of, like, pie charts and bar graphs and all that kind of stuff, there'd be, like, one slide that says, like, hey, if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small, but we're going to make that sale, and we're going to get that thing, we're going to hit those numbers. And now I have some charts I'd like to show you, and then you're trying to stay awake as they just flip through them for the next hour, right? I mean, this is, like, the pump you up kind of statement, because when I hear that, yeah, yeah, I want that to be me. I don't want to be the guy who faints when adversity hits. I don't want to be the guy who only feels strong, only acts like I'm in charge, only understands what things are going on and, and encourages other people if everything's going really well and everything goes according to the plan. It's easy to look strong then. What about in the day of adversity? And so I think for me, I want to find big strength for big moments. That's what Proverbs is encouraging us to do. Find big strength for big moments. And the question is going to be how we find that. Where does it come from? When adversity hits, what am I digging deeper into? Because if it's into my success, if it's into my career, if it's into the plans that I had made, if it's into my finances, if it's into my health, there's so many things that are out of my control. When the moment of adversity hits, 
they can't provide me strength. But what if my priorities are different? What if I have somewhere else I can look? And I was thinking about this a couple of weeks ago. Some of you know, uh, maybe you heard this, uh, the Bengals and the Bills have a playoff game this afternoon. So maybe you heard about this too. A few weeks ago, the Bengals and the Bills were supposed to play a regular season matchup that was being billed as like game of the year because both of these teams are just like on to the moon kind of trajectories. And I was actually at that game and so climbing up into the bleachers and, and getting so excited, like... I didn't know if I should tell you this in case you didn't know, but full disclosure, just for the sake of honesty and integrity on, on this stage and in this place, I am a Bills fan. I know, I know. I'm a diehard Bills fan, and, and I grew up around Chicago, so I'm not even totally sure how it happened, but once I was in, I was in. So I got, you know, 98 Bengals fans to the right of me and 58 Bengals fans to the left of me, and they're all day and singing that whole song, and, and I'm like, come on, Bills, come on. Well, if you know, about five minutes into the game, DeMar Hamlin had a cardiac arrest on the field and dropped to the ground. And I'm sitting here, we're watching, and you, and you kind of can see what's going on. And my buddy's sitting next to me, says, dude, it looks like they're doing compressions. I'm like, compressions? Am I watching a man die right now? And it, I mean, it was, it was just crazy to sit there. And just like that, like the world changes, right? Like nothing feels real anymore. You've hit a moment of adversity you did not expect. So the amazing thing is that uh, DeMar's been out of the hospital for a couple of weeks. He's, they keep saying he's got a long road of recovery, but he's able to be home. He's been visiting the guys at practice and saying hi to friends. Like, people prayed for him, and, and God showed up and brought him healing. But what I loved in that moment was how quickly people's priorities shifted. And, and the best way I saw this was uh, the Bills coach is a guy named Sean McDermott. And Sean is a Christ follower. And so he is one of those guys that whether we win or lose, at the beginning of every press conference, he says, hey, first thing before we get started, I just want to say all glory to God. So even though I don't know him personally, there's something I just kind of appreciated about that, that like it's not glory to God if we win and like rage if we lose. You know, it's like, hey, he believes that God is in control either way. And so he had his team circled up and praying on the field right that moment. And there was such a cool thing because at the same time, Zach Taylor... Joe Burrow, some of the other captains of the Bengals came across the field and you found out later that what they were saying was, hey, whatever you need to do, we're behind you 100%. And so between Coach Sean and Coach Zach, who also I, I heard an interview from him before the Super Bowl last year, says his priorities are faith, then family, then football. And sometimes they say that for human beings, they can be kind of like a tea bag. You find out what's in them when you put them in hot water. And I think you found out from these two coaches where their priorities were because you don't get to decide in that moment. By the time that thing is happening, it's too late to say, is football most important? It's like everyone in the moment knew life was more important than football. Except maybe the league office, if you believe some of the reports you've been hearing. But those two men came together and said, you know what, it doesn't matter. And at that moment, both of them still had a chance for the number one seed in the AFC East. And that was a big game. And yet, even later during the week, after the game had been canceled, after the NFL was trying to figure out what does that screw up and what does that help, both Zach Taylor and Joe Burrow repeated, hey, we're behind the Bills 100%. Whatever they need to do, we need to do because it's just football and this is more important. Guys, that's big strength in a big moment. 
Because you know, I mean, you're probably feeling it as Bengals fans. Like, today's a big deal. You want this game. And it's hard to believe that anything is more important at 3 o'clock this afternoon than winning that game. I mean, they came this close last year. So in that moment, to realize the one seed is in front of you, like all this stuff, and just drop it because there are more important things, that's strength. That is big strength in a big moment. And I think actually one of the things that you see come out of that is we ask, like, where does this strength come from? Just a few lines earlier in this same proverb, in chapter 24, verse 5, it tells us where the strength comes from. It says, a wise man is strong. Yes, a man of knowledge increases strength. Right now, you got to understand the definition of wisdom according to the Bible. Because wisdom and knowledge here is not like, so if you want to feel good about yourself, like, go take more classes, go read more books, and just sit around and be smart. Well, how does that add to strength? Well, here's, here's what you need to know. When the Bible talks about wisdom, wisdom means knowing the right thing to do and doing it. If you know the right thing to do and you just kind of think about it, you're not wise. If you know the right thing to do in every single situation and you don't do it, you're not wise. That's not a live and learn person. But if you know the right thing to do and you do it, that's what the Bible calls wisdom. And check this out. The very next line, not only is it that a wise man is strong, yes, a man of knowledge increases strength, for by wise counsel you will wage your own war. And in a multitude of counselors, there is safety. So think about that idea of war there as like a metaphor for the battles of life. The things that we have to wrestle against as we go through the day today. Because what this is saying is, wisdom comes from knowledge, comes from understanding, and we can gather that from other people. That like Coach McDermott, Coach Taylor, they're not alone trying to make that decision. They can talk to each other. They can talk to their players. They can talk to Joe Burrow. They can talk to Josh Allen. Hey, we're going to make a better decision if we think this through together. And so that's the kind of thing that when you hear us at Horizon talk about why we think we're here. You know, maybe you've heard this. We would tell you that the reason Horizon is here is we want to comfortably connect people to God through the Bible, right, like we're doing right now, and a community of growing Christ followers. You know, the idea being that if I'm really searching for wisdom, if it's possible that this is real, if it's possible that God is there and knows what he's talking about, I would love to get that wisdom. Like, if he made me, he made this world, and he knows how it should go, and he's willing to tell me, how do I find that? And so one of the ways that we explore, one of the ways that we ask questions, and one of the ways that we search is by surrounding ourselves with a multitude of counselors, with other people who are digging for that same treasure. And so I wanted to let you know about a few opportunities that we have here coming up just in the next couple of weeks to do exactly that. Because in no way am I interested in just filling up your calendar. Like, I don't think any of us need to be busy just for the sake of busy, right? I was talking to a guy this morning that's like, because of the snow, our basketball game was canceled today. I'm so thankful I can just relax. I feel like I haven't had a day off in forever. So nothing I'm about to say is just because you need to, like, sign up for things because you're bored, right? <laughs> the idea is that there's value here in getting around other people. And so one thing that we've got, uh, Tuesday nights, we're doing a men's group called Live and Learn, kind of based off of this series that we're sharing on Sunday mornings. Um, so I'd love for you to come out and join us for that. Uh, we also have coming up in a couple of weeks uh, another men's group called Purpose Driven Life. 
John Kirby is leading that one through a book that helps us look at what is my purpose in this particular season? At work, with family, in my, in my spiritual life, as I'm searching for those things. What does it look like to find my purpose and live my purpose? We also have this Wednesday is coming up uh, Seamless for Women. This is a group that is exploring the life of Jesus Christ to see who he is and how his life changed the world through those first few decades after his life. And then this weekend, I've got to tell you about this one. Chad is doing a marriage seminar this weekend called God's Home Info. Uh, We did this a few months ago just for the guys, and it was such good stuff that we thought, we've got to do that again, but it's so marriage-focused, we've got to invite couples, like let them come together and hear this stuff. So that is this coming Saturday morning that Chad is going to be doing that seminar. So all of these, uh, you can find more details on the website, you can register for it there, but I wanted to make sure that I shared them with you because that's one of the ways that we're trying to create space to share those moments with each other as we pursue wisdom together, to have a multitude of counselors just like this says, that we'll make better decisions, we'll find more truth when we're sharing that. And so Proverbs gives us that kind of instruction, but it kind of begs another question. So I want to find strength, and it says I find that from wisdom, and I want to find wisdom, and it says one of the places to do that is around other people, but then I've got to ask, like, well, where did they get their wisdom from? (laughs) Right? Like, how do I know I'm getting the right wisdom? And so I'm going to flip back a few pages to Proverbs chapter 9, One of the nice things about Proverbs is a lot of it really is just like a collection of these sayings. You don't always have to read them in order. But Proverbs 9.10 basically becomes like the theme verse for this book of ancient wisdom. If you want to know where the wisdom ultimately comes from, it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So ultimately, Proverbs is going to pitch to us that all of this comes from God himself. That if I really want the best wisdom, and and this book is full of stuff that is not just how to pray, like it's definitely that, but it's also how to run a business, how to love your spouse, how to encourage your kids, how to train them up. Like so much practical stuff for daily life because it's set in the context of eternity. It's set in the context of a God who cares, of a God who's invested, and of a God who wants to help. What do you think about that phrase, the fear of the Lord? Like, I don't know about you, but like when I first hear that, I'm thinking like, yeah, I'll put the fear of God in them. Right? Like that's usually how we use it, right? The fear of the Lord. Because we hear fear and that's a negative reaction to something that is going to like hurt us, right? Like that's the kind of stuff I'm afraid of. And so my next encouragement for you today, not just to find big strength for big moments, but here's my next one. I want you to know how to fear God the right way. Right? That's how we win. When we know how to fear God the right way. And so in my own life, I've, I've kind of gone back and forth on this thing because um, I grew up in a household that you know, taught me about God and brought me to church. And, and so I've been a Christ follower for a while and, I, and I've, just, I've always known that God loves me, that Jesus died for me, that he wants to forgive me. And yet at the same time, in the back of my mind, there's always this kind of like, but he's also about to throw a lightning bolt, Right? Like, isn't that what we know about God? Like, he, he knows you're lying to me. He knows what you did. Nobody else saw you, but God saw you. And, like, that's true. But is that the primary way I relate to him? Because for me, I realized that it was for a long time. In spite of all the other things that he says about love and mercy and forgiveness, I carried a lot of that, but he's about to be mad at me. He's about to be mad at me. 
And so here's what was kind of helpful for me. I just discovered this a couple of years ago. The Hebrew word there that's used for fear can actually be negative, a negative reaction, something I'm afraid of, but it can also be very positive, much more in the sense of like awe and respect. And in fact, most of the places that you see this phrase in the Bible, the fear of the Lord, it's a really good thing. It's the person who loves the Lord, enjoys the Lord. He's blessing their life because they fear the Lord. They respect him. They're in awe of him. They bow down to him. And I'm thinking, why on earth do we translate it fear then? Well, and here's why. This actually shows up a little bit in the English language. So I'm going to show you two prefixes. One of them is ter. Because from the prefix ter, we get both terrifying, terrible, and terrific. And you can feel a couple of those are really negative. I don't want terrifying and I don't want terrible. Terrific sounds good. Now, same thing with awe. You can have something that is awful. But you can also have something that is awesome or awe-inspiring. And so the reason that that phrase shows up in the Bible is because it can really be both. Right? If you see it in a situation where I'm rejecting God, I'm rejecting his guidelines. I don't want him in charge of my life. I'm frustrated with him and I don't want to talk to him and so I'm going the opposite direction. Then yeah, the Bible teaches us there are consequences coming for that. Right? So that's worth being afraid of. So this is kind of that classic picture of like just you wait till your father gets home. Like people don't say that because you've been a good boy today. Right? And the idea is there are going to be consequences for your behavior. And if that creates a little fear, hey, maybe that helps redirect me to better behavior. But the picture in the Bible is that I don't have to stay there. Like, that's not actually how God wants to primarily relate to me. So he will give that warning with the purpose of turning me back to him so that my fear can be the awe, the inspirational, the terrific. And so when you see that phrase, the fear of the Lord, really the idea is it's the thing that makes you drop to your knees and say, whoa. And if I position myself as his enemy, then you're thinking like, whoa, I better run. But what God wants you to say is, whoa, this is the real God. This is the good God. This is the God that wants to forgive me for all the things that make me think I better run. I don't have to run. Instead, because of Christ, because of his death, he paid the price for all the stuff that I've done wrong. He rose again to conquer not only all my wrong stuff, but death itself so that God can offer me internal, eternal life. Whoa, that is awesome. And that is terrific. So I want you to learn to fear God the right way. Not a God that we're scared of, that we run from, but that by turning to him, giving that stuff up to him, it kind of takes the pressure off. In fact, I actually read a book a few years ago. I'll, I'll recommend this to you if you're interested. It's literally called The Pressure's Off. And the whole point of this book was the idea that we put so much pressure on ourselves trying to achieve in our careers, trying to achieve in our families. We put so much pressure on ourselves thinking, I have to make God like me. Instead of just coming to God and say, hey, I can't actually pull it off. I need your forgiveness. I need your goodness. I need your mercy. And Jesus says, I took the pressure so that the pressure's off of you. That's the way that he expresses his love to us. That's what it means to fear God the right way. 
And it takes us right back to Matthew chapter 16. All right, so you come back to this, this thing that Jesus was teaching them. And now you hear it a little bit differently. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? See, if I spend all of my energy striving to achieve and never knowing God, then I'll get as far as my human ability can take me, but that's it. And my human ability cannot get me to eternity. And honestly, my human ability cannot get me through adversity. Because when I hit those moments that I finally realize, like as much as we think things are in our control, things are extremely out of your control. Like literally like less than an hour ago in this building, if, if you were here, all the power went out for like no reason. And Chad had to teach in the dark for seven minutes. <laughs> so I, I asked him before I got up here, I was like, hey, what do I need to know uh, in case that happens again? He's like, well, be prepared to teach without your notes. <laughs> be prepared to teach in the dark. Like, well, I'm not, but okay, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right? Like, you're just, you're just not actually in control of your life, but there is a God who is. You know, that's the reason that when Damar Hamlin went down on the field a couple of weeks ago, all of a sudden, everybody's praying, because whether I've checked in with God in the last six months or not, we all want to know that when adversity hits, when stuff is out of control, when I don't know what's going on and I realize it's not up to me, that there is somebody out there who can do something about anything. A few months ago, my friend Scott was telling his story to a group of businessmen here in Cincinnati, and I, and I loved his story because as he shared it, it sounded so much like, um, I, I'm like a mini version of him, I think. I hadn't achieved what he did, but I could totally feel like the mindset because he was the guy in high school that was getting up at 4 a.m. because he's going to swim for two hours before classes start, and after class he's going to swim for two hours, but it's not going to affect his classes because he's doing homework all night, and he's going to get straight A's, and he did that all through school, all through college, through his master's. And he went out and he, and he got a COO position of a company. And like everything was going great. Um, beautiful wife, beautiful kids, loving his life. Just fantastic. And the career that he was in, the, the company that he was at, um, I'll, I'll spare you the details. But it basically went into this situation where it was like, either you take this stock option or you're out of the company. And he didn't want that option. And so he was pushed out. And just like that, it was like everything changed. Everything changed because his whole life he'd been able to build himself up and that was like the first moment that he realized, I'm not in control. But I've got to find another job and I think I'm successful enough. I've done this enough. Like I can, I can look for what I want, right? So he set up a multitude of counselors. I mean, this was brilliant. He met with over 200 businessmen to try to find the right connections, the right opportunities, the perfect position and what I loved about this story was he said that as he met with them, he's thinking primarily like job hunt. But what he kind of noticed by accident was that of the guys that he talked to, it was the people who had God as their highest priority, who he found that they could not only be successful, but they also had peace. And he had always thought that if he gave into this God thing, it was going to take his edge off. You know, that there'd be something weaker about him if he let God be in control of his life. And then he began to see these guys who were still successful in their careers, who were still living the life that they were pursuing, and yet there was no pressure from it, whether it came or went, because their focus was on God. 
And so one of the guys that he met with actually invited him to a Bible study, and, and Scott even said, like, well, I went to the Bible study because I found out who else was going to be in there, and those would be some great connections. <laughs> so he's like, I think God had a different plan because the further he read into the Bible, the more he realized that God was not the mean, angry, lightning bolt-throwing God that he was afraid of, that he is righteous, and he will deal with what's wrong in us and in the world, but that this was a God who wanted to show him love who wanted to give him strength in adversity, strength for every day of his life. And so Scott ended up putting his faith in Christ as his forgiver. And he says that now, as the COO of a company, he's loving his career, he's loving his job, but he doesn't have all the stress that he used to carry all the time. The pressure's off. And he said, I actually feel like I'm a better husband, a better dad, a better boss because of my faith in Christ because I know where my priorities are, because my strength comes from God, not from my performance, not from how smooth life is going. That's not where my strength is. Life can do this. I'm still strong because I have Christ. It's the exact same thing that Tony Dungy was sharing. And I think it's what I would want you to hear today because I don't know what you think about God, what you think about the Bible, what you think about Jesus, but you realize Jesus was talking to his closest friends when he cannonballs into the deep end of the pool. I mean, he could have reined it in a little bit and said, well, hey, guys, yeah, well, you know what? Let's make the most of today and let's see if we can be successful. And I mean, I know it might be tough, but we'll hang in there. No, he tells him, guys, listen to me. I'm not saying that you, you shouldn't be successful. I'm not saying that you can't gain some things. But I'm telling you, if you gain the world and lose your soul, the whole thing was for nothing. There is nothing more important than your soul. And these are guys who had jobs, they had families, they're under a corrupt government that they're afraid of, that they're trying to just make do in the world, and he's telling them, you got to try to look above all of that. Jesus is pointing them out of the day-to-day, -day, out of the momentary, to the eternal. He loves them too much, and I think he loves you too much, like to sugarcoat it, <laughs> to skip past the part where he doesn't like... Just think about this. From Jesus' perspective, would you want to leave those friends behind, feeling some warm fuzzies, and losing their souls? Right? Like, I know that's like heavy spiritual language, but from Jesus' perspective, if he knows that he is the only way that they can overcome anything that happens to them and reach eternal life, that he knows that if any one of them thinks that their health is what they're going to bank on, that their career is what they're going to bank on, that their relationships is what they're going to bank on, that their good behavior, if, if any one of them, his closest friends, thinks that they're going to meet God someday and say, hey, I, for the most part, I mean, I was generally a pretty good person. Like, the king was pretty crooked when I was living down there, but I wasn't really like that. Jesus knows that's not enough. And he loves them too much to leave them thinking that it is. He says, hey, I want your perspective on eternity and you will be shocked how much it helps you in the day-to-day. -day. Because you can read their stories in here. They're guys that dealt with sickness and disease in their families. They're guys that, that went up against like death penalties because of their trust in Jesus. And they were not shaken. They were not moved. They faced it with joy because their top priority was way beyond like a football game. Their focus was on the eternal. 
And so here's what I'd encourage you to consider today. Would you consider to go to God for strength and wisdom in your moment of adversity? And one of the things I saw Tony Dungy say in another interview was that he really believed that he could glorify God in every circumstance. That sometimes how you respond to failure and disappointment says a lot more than how you do in success. So I don't know what you're facing or what you're not today. I don't know what might be in your past that this is stirring up that you feel like I don't understand. I don't know what may, may be coming in your future. But God does. And he is there for you in that. So I'd like to just pray for you right now. And, and maybe even as I'm praying, you just want to ask God that there's somewhere in your life that you would like his strength. You know, maybe even just a moment to say, Jesus, I want to trust you as my savior and my forgiver and find that kind of strength and that kind of perspective. Let's pray. God, thank you that there is no moment that is too big for you, that there is no adversity that is too difficult for you, that there is no challenge that we can't face when we know that you are with us. So I just thank you for offering that to us. I thank you for being a strong God. I thank you for offering to come alongside us. And Lord, I thank you for your forgiveness and for your mercy through Jesus Christ. Lord, I don't know where every heart that is joined with us today is at on these things. But I pray that if you're trying to speak to me, to us, to any one person, Lord, if you're trying to speak, I pray that we would listen and just know the joy of following your lead, of seeing you as a God who is awesome and terrific. And we'll pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, I'm really glad that you guys were here today, wherever you're joining us from. So don't forget about those groups that are coming up, about the marriage seminar this Saturday. And I'm, I'm going to do this because I love you guys. Who day? <laughs> Go Bills! And we'll see you next week. Thanks for coming.